You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I've been having a good week. It's been pretty nice. I've been able to get out to the park more. We get, we get crazy wind here in New Mexico. There was a wind warning, like 55 mile an hour winds. And there was a, I came to this one road and it was just a river of tumbleweeds flying down the road. And I'm sitting there waiting for it. And then this uh, pickup truck comes and blows through it, destroys all the tumbleweeds. And I'm like, well, good. Now I can actually get my car through. Cause, uh, what, what has man done to nature? No, some of the tumbleweeds are actually like as tall, like way up to your bumper, higher than your bumper. So it's uh, like running over a bush. Yeah. Just the idea of a tumbleweed is very Midwestern to me. Yeah. So that that's fitting. The weather here has been fantastic. Again, it's before the uh, time of year where it gets blistering hot with like the humidity and everything. I didn't get to enjoy this past weekend because I drove up to Philadelphia uh, to go see the darkness in oh, concerts. Yeah. I'm not sure if any of our listeners remember them, but they came out with that famous song, I believe in a thing called Love, uh, 20 years ago. And I've actually been following them ever since then. And I feel like they're the albums that they do release just get better and better. So I made a point to go up and see them. It's the rare, uh, the rare band that actually keeps getting better and better. Yeah, no, I, I still enjoy the darkness. Yeah, it also helps that they're not as as famous as they used to be when they first, you know, became known twenty years ago. So they get to play in like smaller venues. This one how was close, actually how close did you alley. get to them? Yeah, we were like thir- we were in the back, but we were like 30, 40 feet away from them. Nice, or okay. from the bands. I remember I saw a System of a Down at the nine thirty club, which is fairly small around in DC, and uh, yeah, the small venue is better than a big old stadium. Definitely. Prior to the concert, uh, you know, we stopped at different breweries in the area. That is something I always enjoy doing, just going to different breweries and try different beers, yeah. but. On that bad segue for my drink of the week, I did not get any beer from those breweries, unfortunately. So it is going to be a Johnny Walker Black. Yeah. Did you see any good breweries in uh, in Philly? Exactly yeah. The, breweries I, there. the first one that we started at was uh, Love City Brewing. Um, so I enjoyed that one. I forgot the name of the second one, but we 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 made a point to. Were you mostly a, just uh, trying their IPAs, or did you go for the flight? I I only had the IPAs. Yeah, <laughs> they were all good. <laughs> I figured they were quality. And so let's see. Oh, it looks like you wanted to do some. Some corrections. Yeah. So last last week we discussed the poem Aldismal uh, from the Poetic Edda and our episode where Thor tricks a dwarf. I think that we were so excited to discuss on your end, David, the origins of pagan Easter. Mm-hmm. And I was very excited to talk about the Thor Love and Thunder trailer that we forgot to miss some very basic parts of the episode. Sure. Um, one of it, one of them being the fact that I don't think I mentioned the poem name Aldismal, which was found in the Poetic Edda. The the other one was I guess if you remember that story, Thor had this like delay tactic in this conversation with a dwarf and the delay was so the dwarf would be exposed to the rising sun. We learned from that poem that if dwarves are exposed to the sun, they turn into stone. And that's, there's a scene directly from the Hobbit um, that involve, I believe trolls and not dwarves, but you know, their exposure to the sun through a delay tactic, I think it was like by Gandalf or something, you know, turn them into stone. Right. No, I think we had talked about that, how like the dwarves in Norse mythology aren't really quite like tokens dwarves, right? They're really more, it seem like trolls to me, the way they describe it. But then in Norse mythology, they describe the giants as trolls, or they use the word troll sometimes talking about giants. So it's a little hard to figure out what yeah. they really mean. I actually ordered the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy because I've read The Hobbit before, but when you mentioned that, I'm like, I actually don't remember that scene and I've never read Lord of the Rings. So I, I need to do that when I can find time. But, yeah, yeah I'm, I, have, I have all four books. I'm actually weirdly a bigger fan of The Hobbit, the book, than the Lord of the Rings books, but 
I enjoyed the I enjoyed the Lord of the Rings movies more than the Hobbit trilogy. I think the mm. Hobbit trilogy just kind of went on for a while and it was yeah. based on like a smaller book. But no, because I I love the book The Hobbit and I had read the book before I saw the Hobbit movie and then I realized it was a trilogy and I'm like, oh, what are they what are they going to stretch this movie out to be? But people are always telling me yeah that like the Lord of the Rings books are a little too much, so I've put off reading them for a long time and I'm going to give it a try. Let's see how it goes because they say so much that he was inspired by the Norse mythology. That's part of what's motivated me too. Yeah. Yeah, and so once we run out of the uh, material from the prose set, uh, poetic edit, and then like the sagas, we can maybe just get into the the token books, and then um, at that point, we'll, we'll clearly be sellouts, but it's all good. Yeah. So we can we can go ahead and move on into the the subject matter of the episode. So this episode, we continue our series on the adventures of Thor. This week, in particular, we are discussing Thor's trip to Garrod's court, which features the characters of Thor, Loki, Frigg, who is Odin's wife. The giantess Grid, who is one of Odin's lovers, and a giant named Garrod, and his two daughters. So to get started with the sources, this story comes straight out of the Prosetta in the portion called Scott Scoppermall. This story, based on the, I guess, the progression from the progression from story to story in Scott Scoppermall, seems to come after the story with Thor's duel with Hrungnir, which we discussed a few episodes back. And just a one other quick note that the duel with Frumir and the Meat of Poetry were the other two stories that we have discussed on this podcast from Scott Scabramall. And then that the yeah, the other the other place this comes from is it's actually from a a skaldic poem. So it's not from the the poetic edda. They call that kind of the edic poems are in the poetic edda. But there's also are these skaldic poems where you actually know who the author is. So we'll We'll get more into that later, but basically within Snorri's prose edda, some versions of his prose edda include this poem. Other times it's just like Snorri's uh, cliff notes, basically, is how I like to think of it. Nice. Cool. So here's the story. So for fun one day, Loki puts on Frigg's falcon shape and flies to the court of a giant named Garrod. He flies through an open window in Garrod's hall. Garrod then, seeing Loki, or not knowing who Loki is, but seeing the bird or the falcon, demands that the falcon be caught. So really quick, I wanted to make a note here that there is another story from Scott Scoppermall that we have yet to cover that involves the goddess Edun, where Loki also acquires a falcon shape from Freya, which kind of goes into a topic that we touched on or a question that we touched on, is Freya Frigg? Um, that, was, no- that was my yeah, question. Yeah. Like, do, do all the goddesses have their own feather suit to turn into birds or is there only one feather dress, feather suit? Yeah, that's Exactly. Um, and then like on the episode that we discussed, uh, Thor's wedding, Thrymsthida, from the Poetic Edda, so not from the Prosetta like this one, Loki uses Freya's feather suit. And it's one thing I just wanted to note there where it's interesting to think about, and I'm looking forward to doing more research when we discuss that on the podcast, but often the gods and goddesses have similar powers in these stories. Like they may have the ability to shapeshift or something like that, or they may have the ability to control the weather or to control the winds that affects the sea or something like that. But this one very much clarifies that it doesn't just look like Loki wearing a dress made out of feathers and it lets him fly through the air. It lets him yeah. turn into a falcon. So he looks very convincingly like a falcon. Definitely. So one of uh, Garrod's giants is successfully able to capture Loki Loki attempts to fly off just in time, but his feet end up getting caught. And, and keep in mind, uh, one thing I want to make a note here is that Loki was trying to sort of troll the giant, you know, like wait until the last minute for the giant to uh, go after him. Um, but unfortunately, it backfired and his feet got caught. Loki is caught by the giant. Garrett has a suspicion that the bird was actually a disguise and demanded to know who it was. 
when Loki refuses to answer, the giant had him locked up in a chest for three months. And that's what it seems to me like he sort of looks at this falcon and he looks him in the eyes and somehow he can tell like this is a, a god shapeshifted into a bird. It's not just a bird. But yeah, I wanted to read this part because I thought it was very funny the way Loki is. Uh, he's basically like taunting the guy mm-hmm. sent to chase him. And nice. to me, that feels like that's why Loki gets, gets himself in trouble. So the way it's written is, but he who was sent could scarce get to the top of the wall. So high was it. And it seemed pleasant to Loki to see the man striving with toil and pain to reach him. And he thought it was not yet time to fly away until the other had accomplished his perilous climb. When the man pressed hard after him, then he stretched his wings for flight and thrust out vehemently, but now his feet were stuck fast. It doesn't explain why his feet are stuck. If it was like glue on there or the magic caught his feet, I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he tripped. He's not used to the falcon shape yeah, or something. But I definitely think Loki got what he deserved because he's sitting there just mocking this guy, uh, making him climb up the wall. Definitely. Um. So after, after uh, Loki spends three months in disguise or in the disguise of a falcon in this chest loki eventually comes clean in identifying himself garrod agrees to spare loki under the terms that loki would convince thor to also travel to garrod's court in jodenheim without both his hammer or his belt of strength yeah and this is one where they don't give the details but one i always kind of wonder why loki actually keeps his word right like why does loki you know he already escaped getting killed why is he going to keep his word Maybe so he can get out of these situations in the future again. He needs a good reputation that uh, he keeps his good, word. Yeah, a good yeah. reputation in Jonheim right. or something. Loki's kind of known for being a trickster and a liar and things like that. And then how did he talk Thor into this, right? Was he just like, oh, there's something in the poetic version that gives you an idea of, he says like, we're, we're just taking a nice vacation, Thor. You don't need your, you don't need your hammer. We're just going to have a fun, uh, have a fun time. We're going to go see the darkness concert and uh, we don't need any <laughs> weapons. Yeah. Philadelphia is Jonheim. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Cool. Um, So Loki convinces Thor to go on his journey with them. And Thor arrives at the home of a giantess named Grid. Grid was the mother of Vidar the Silence. Grid tells Thor about Garrod's deceptions. And to help him in his journey to Garrod's court, she gives him her belt of strength, her iron gloves, and her staff. And one thing I want to make a note here, Vidar... And so again, Grid being Vidar's mother, Vidar's father is Odin. So Vidar is Thor's stepbrother, and thus Grid, I don't think is technically his stepmother. They're not married, right? But he's she's a like a stepmother figure, right? Yes, <laughs> and Grid is thus a stepmother figure to Thor. So just I, I think this fits very well with the story where Grid is a giantess in Jotunheim who's supposed to hate Thor. But she may look at, at Thor as kin because yeah. Thor is the brother of her son. And then the, the half brother. Yeah. And you're going to talk more later about Vidar because I didn't think of him being a very significant uh, figure. But as you, you're going to talk about later, like he's actually a very significant uh, in some parts of the Norse mythology. And then yeah. I just wanted to and read real this quick. Part. I, I just made a note, a note here. Um, I did mention stepbrother at first, but Thor and Vidar are half brothers, right? Yeah. Not stepbrother. Cool. Yeah, same Sorry. <laughs> You got you to get all this right for Sean's uh, family tree that he's working on. You got to connect all, all the lines correctly, right? Exactly. So I just want to read this next part and see where your mind goes. I'll tell you where my mind went. But So it says, Thor came to spend the night with the giantess who was called Grid, mother of Vidar, the silent. She told Thor the truth concerning Garrod, that he was a crafty giant and ill to deal with. She lent him the girdle of might, the iron gloves, which she possessed, and her staff, which was called Girder's Rod. So that's the way it was written in my translation is that Thor spent the night with the giantess. 
take that for what you what you will. Well, and it's very interesting to me that you say that, David, because I remember like in our and back in our episode when we discussed Hemdall and Hemdall sleeps with the multiple couples yep. at different time. And my my first thought was went to the fact that they had three ways because the wife ended up getting pregnant, got pregnant every time. Right. And your thought was that, well, no, they they just got consumed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so, and maybe, so in this you know, case, you're actually going in the other direction and I'm, I'm going, I, we switched, I guess. Well, and maybe it's rude for, to leave Thor sleeping on the floor. So you do let him sleep in bed with, with you and your husband. And then maybe they have two beds and maybe there's no, they, they can't afford two beds back then. <laughs> and maybe there's no, maybe there's no hanky panky, but maybe there is. That's my, that's where I'm going with this. Gotcha. Or it could, if you're, if you are right, it could be like, like father, like son. Yeah. But he, he did, he did something. And that's what I'm thinking that Thor is changing. That's where, that's where my mind wants to go. It's that Thor is becoming the lover, right? Thor's never seducing anybody, but clearly this giantess likes him enough that gives him her own gloves and a belt and a, a staff of power that he's going to use. So. Uh, well, so I actually didn't make that connection and now it does kind of make sense, even though it doesn't necessarily like Speci- like specifically say that, but you know, if you look back at the episode on the Mead of Poetry where Odin seduces Gunlod yep. to get the Mead, you know, like he right. seduces a woman to get something out of her, and like Thor maybe is just trying to, you know, earn favor with Grid to get these items which he knows he doesn't have because he couldn't bring them on this journey with Loki. And I guess we also have to ask ourselves where was Loki during all this, so we can maybe just said, yeah, he's. And Loki's right, still technically correct. He didn't come with his gloves. He didn't come with his hammer. He just has these other weapons he picked up on the way, right? That's that's still. I'm more so asking where did Loki sleep? (laughs) Or was Loki with Thor? Loki Loki is just like the spirit that lives inside Thor's head and torments him. But I don't know if that's. For the shadow, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, so after after Thor spends the night at uh, Grid's house, he then travels to the river Vimir. In this case, it does mention with Loki, which is a great waterway. He puts on the belts of strength, which Loki held onto as Thor wades, you know, across the river. He then places Grid's staff downstream, it, like again while he wades across. So my get my guess, David, is that he is like stretching the staff out to stop the water. It kind of is a little unclear. In it's, the, uh, and it's interesting story. in the poem. It's there's a lot of detail in there, and it's all about him. He's got this stick, and he's trying to get it to stick in the rocks, but the you know they're rocks with water flowing over, like white water. So it's really this kind of dramatic scene they paint of how he's trying to use a staff to help himself across so he doesn't fall in the river and get taken downstream. And at first you could think like, oh, it's a, a nice little stream. He's just wading across. But it's this idea that it's a very chaotic thing. And as we'll get to in a moment, it gets more and more chaotic. But I wanted to ask you, Sean, and just kind of for our listeners to, if you're following along with how David reads these myths, right? What does the water represent? What in terms of like symbols and mythology and collective unconscious, what is water usually? nourishments. Yeah, that's a good one. And even if it's not just that you need it physically for your body to survive and for the crops, then it's this idea of it's like nourishes you spiritually, right? That's the whole idea with like baptism, right? And things like that. And, and they had some of those traditions, I think for the old Norse, even before Christianity of like somehow water blessing people, there was a thing in Easter. They said the water that you pulled out of the well on Easter day was very healing or blessing or something of that nature. Right. Yeah. And going back to the episode on Hemdal, um, every yeah. time the couple that Hemdall lay with, I guess, gave birth to like a bunch of kids. Yeah. They would always have water sprinkled, sprinkled yeah. on them, similar to a baptism. Right. So. so it's maybe something like that, right? And then the, the other place I go to, not, you know, who knows if that's what the old Norse were look, going for, right? But in a lot of other stories, like with the water jar boy, right? At the end, he goes into the spring, into the depths where he finds his father, who's kind of the God, right? So that Thor is going 
something that's deeper, right? Is kind of the idea. And then there's also this idea that water being feminine, right? I keep saying that Thor needs to find his feminine side and things like that. So just as I'm reading it, I'm thinking that's what the water represents, right? Thor's maybe it's like the water splashing. I didn't I didn't make that connection with the baptism, like the it's blessing him, right? But maybe it's my mind goes that's you know it's something like depth of feminine wisdom, like Odin going to the underworld okay. is similar to the depth of the water. The next thing they say right after that is that there's a female, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking this already. And then the next line I read, there's a female sorceress at the head of the river and she's making it more chaotic. So he can't cross. Right. So I'm like, yeah, of course it has to be a female sorceress. Right. If it confirms that we're talking about something feminine, yin energy, uh, the unconscious that Thor can't find. Right. So that's just that's yeah. how, a little example of how I read the myths when I'm going through them. Uh, well, no, and, and the we'll see like in a second, if Thor gets out of the water, you know, is he, is that him like coming out of his like baptism, I guess, to, yeah, something, you know, right. eventually grow. And like, I you know we discussed in the Thor episode with Thor's wedding, he had to kind of destroy who he was by putting on a dress, which right. is considered feminine to, you know, come like grow out of that and become better as well. Yeah. Um, so, so moving on at this point, the water begins to rise as a result of Garrett's daughter, one of Garrett's daughters, whose name is Gyalp. She was straddling the river which makes for a funny sight. Um, and ultimately what happened was the water was rising to the point where it nearly drowns Thor and Loki. Thor then takes a stone from the river and throws it at Gyalp's head. And as the, as quoted in the Prosetta, he did not miss. Note that she did survive, but it, it prevented her from doing what she was doing by raising the water level. So with, with Gyalp no longer there, because she got hit in the head with the stone, Thor was then able to cross the river. And I wanted to make a note here because if you remember Herbert's Laud, Thor was unable to cross the river because of his father, Odin, who was disguised as a ferryman. This time he was able to pass the river just fine, which maybe indicates that he has more, more there's more growth on his part. Um, and up to the story, like this part of the story right now, it's another story where he doesn't have his hammer. He's experiencing some success and now he's able to overcome a river, which has proven difficult for him in the past. Yeah. And that's why I like that we do this together because I didn't even immediately make that link, right? But especially the order we're telling them in, right? It's, yeah, the first time he can't cross it, but now he can. There's this thing I like, they made a really big deal out of this, I think in the prose edda as well as I think it's in the poem too, talking about the rowan tree, that Thor was able to pull himself out of the river using a rowan tree. And now that's like a kenning that's used as the protector or the savior of Thor is the Rowan tree, right? And so I don't really know what that means, if it's just an interesting detail that there were some roots of a tree to pull himself back out of the river, or if it maybe is something kind of like the world tree. Now we're talking about this water representing <laughs> traveling other realms unconscious, and he's traveling the tree getting back out, right? So it's maybe it's there on purpose, maybe it's unintentional, but that's just one they really sure. talk about like, this is a kenning you should know, the Rowan tree. So it must mean something. Yeah. Thor savior, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then they had a little poem that this was what I forget if it was Thor or Loki uh, singing this, but so Thor's trying to travel up the river. He's using the staff so he doesn't fall in the white water and Loki's hanging on his belt, hang it kind of hanging from behind. And they sing this uh, song that says, wax now thou Vimmer, for I fain would wade thee into the giant's garth. Know thou, if thou waxest, then waxest God's strength in me as high up as the heavens. So again, the, the old archaic language, right, to wax and to wane, wax is increasing in power, wane is mm -hmm. decreasing. So basically it says that if the river gets stronger now, as I travel into the giant's realm, know that I will grow stronger as well. My strength will be as high as the heavens, basically. Um, so it's like an Obi-Wan Kenobi line from uh, yeah. Star Wars. Because everything is in 
prose that's you know it's easy to understand and then they put this little song poem in there and i'm like eh, that's got to mean something and, uh, gotcha. you do you do get that reference by the way right obi-wan kenobi yes yes, yes. <laughs> okay <laughs> i just have to make sure i know previous episodes but no i know you're completely correct that uh, obi-wan is the is the wise uh the wise counselor to the hero so yeah definitely yeah so moving on thor after thor crosses the river he arrives at garrett's hall loki and him were directed to a goat's shed where they would be staying. In the shed, there was one chair, which Thor eventually sits on. However, as Thor is on the chair, the chair begins to rise, which pushes Thor on the chair up into the up towards the roof. Yeah, and it's in the uh, in the poetic version, it really makes a dramatic scene where it's like this. I always go back to James Bond, right, where there's like this machine that's rising up, and he's going to be crushed against the ceiling if he doesn't do something. And they, yeah. they paint it as a very dramatic in the poem. Yeah, you know, well that you've described the restaurant. Yeah. So then this is where the staff comes into play that he has. He uses Grid's staff to push against the roof, preventing him from rising anymore. However, as he pushes up against the roof, he pushes so hard that the chair gets pushed back down until Thor hears a crack. At this point, it turns out that Gyalp and another one of Garrett's daughters, Gripe, were below the chair and they were who was pushing Thor up. And when Thor used the staff to push them back down, both of Garrett's daughters were killed because their backs broke. Yeah, like the details of how they were, uh, how their backs were broken. Uh, he thrust Girder's rod up against the rafters and pushed back hard against the chair. Then there was a great crash and screaming followed. Under the chair had been Garrod's daughters, Gyalp and Grep, and he had broken both of their backs. And Garrod had Thor called into the hall to play games. So it's very, very, very quick transition to, oh, both their backs are broken and they're dying. Thor, and let's go play gets, a game. Yeah, exactly. The, the father of the, the killed daughters invites Thor in to play, to play games. And, and by the way, David, I didn't put this in the notes, but yeah. something that like came to mind a couple days ago, if you look at what Gyalp did to Thor yeah. on the river, and if you look at what Gyalp and Gripe did to Thor when they yeah. pushed the chair up, those were like very, like they, they could be looked at in some lens as a very like flirty thing to do. And so yeah. they both were potentially flirting with Thor and then they just get killed. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, you know, the way I read these, like Zashan asked you, what does the water represent? What is the, what does the rod represent? Oh gosh. <laughs> what else could it represent? Right. Once you know it, you can't not know that. And then it's just this part that Thor broke both their backs. And uh, yeah, that doesn't sound dirty at all. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The, we don't <laughs> have to necessarily go there, but um, yeah. I, it sounds like you did go a little bit beyond uh, maybe uh, Gyalp and Griper flirting with Thor and that's my Thor, maybe Thor didn't realize it. So that's another area where hopefully Thor grows at some point. So Garrod then calls Thor into the main hall for a contest. Again, just seeming to completely ignore the fact that his daughters just died. A fire was roaring in the middle of the hall. I actually think it was like like two or three fires. Garrett uses tongs to grab a glowing piece of iron from the flames and he throws it at Thor. So this indicates that if this is not part of the contest, he is probably pissed off at Thor. Thor catches the iron with the iron gloves, which Grid gave to him, and then throws it back at Garrett's direction. Garrett hides behind a pillar. However, the iron was thrown in a way that pierced both the pillared and Garrod, killing Garrod. Yeah. And that's actually how the the, the uh, story ends. They don't go any further than that. It just says Garrod got pierced by the iron. And you know, like as, as we're reading it now, and I'm thinking there's that abrupt change where it's like, oh, their backs are broken. Hey, Thor, you want to go play a game? But it's very much more that like, hey, Thor, 
want to play a game <laughs> and that he's you know his daughters have been killed but now he's going to trick thor into uh, trying to kill thor right so yeah and this is another story where thor was forced to go on a quest without his hammer and he was successful so i think our, our friend thor is learning he can he can live with his hammer he is not his hammer he's not the god of hammers he's like thor the god if that makes sense right no and the, and that idea of what his hammer represents i think it's, there's much more to that about this power right thor thor is powerful but they say several places that he's he can't protect asgard from all of the giants without the hammer right so when we get to that episode about how he gets his hammer there's i haven't even fully made sense of it but i hope i'll make sense of it by the time we get there like the many things it may represent and it's not just what um, where sean's mind is going right now yeah so that that's the entire story and one thing i did want to mention before we we get into the next part of this episode I wanted to kind of use this as an opportunity to introduce the character of Vidar. As we mentioned that Grid is Vidar's mother and Vidar's father is Odin. Vidar plays a huge part in Ragnarok. So he, he actually has a huge story arc in Norse mythology. And so does Thor, who's also Odin's son. Baldur, who's Odin's son, has plays a part. There's also a uh, there's also a god named uh, Hod or H- yeah, I believe it's Hod. I'll have to take a look into that. But there's multiple sons of Odin that play a very unique part, especially in Norse mythology, but also Ragnarok. But so speaking of Vidar, I want to go over a few of his other mentions in the sources. So from the Prosetta, we just discussed his role in this story, which is um, from Scott Scoppermall. I know it's more so his mother, but there's also a portion of Scott Scoppermall later in the chapter where Vidar is called the silent God. So the silent God is the kenning to explain who Vidar is. He also is known as the possessor, excuse me, the possessor of the iron shoe and the slayer of Fenrir. Do they ever say why he has the iron shoe? I I think he, I think he slays Fenrir with the iron shoe. But no, no, actually that's not true. Um, Where does he get his iron shoe from? Yeah. I want to know. I actually don't think that it was the iron shoe. I'll have to look, I'll have to look into it. I'm not even sure they explained, but uh, yeah, that's why it's just where my mind is going in any case. He has an iron shoe, like maybe it's a steel toe or something. But on that note, he does eventually slay, slay Fenrir. And I know we've been trying to stay away from the, uh, like what exactly happens in Ragnarok until we get to that episode. But looking at a lot of the stories and poems, like there's going to be some, uh, you know, spoilers um, at some point. But that's what you can take away from this. Vidar does slay Fenrir at Ragnarok. Also in the other portion that we typically discuss of the Prosetta, Gilfaganin, Chapter 29, which is simply titled Vidar, it states one is called Vidar, as in one one of the gods being Vidar. He has a thick shoe and is nearly as strong as Thor. The gods rely on him in all difficulties. And then later on in Gilfaganin, which actually does discuss Ragnarok, chapters 51 and 52, they talk about how Vidar avenges Odin by killing Fenrir, in hell, Vidar is actually one of the gods for the Aesir that survives Ragnarok, because there is a few of them that do. So moving on to the Poetic Edda, he appears in four different poems, so uh, quite a few of them. In Grimnismal, Sansa 17, it states, The wide land of Vithar is overgrown with high grass and weeds. That bold son of Odin is preparing himself to avenge his father on horseback which speaks to his actions at Ragnarok. Moving to Voluspa, Sansa 53. And again, in Voluspa, it's the seeress, the dead seeress speaking to Odin. She says, then comes the great son of Odin, Vithar, to fight. 
to avenge his father on the wolf. He shoves his sword into the mouth of Fenrir all the way to the heart, and thus Odin is avenged. So yeah, you see, it wasn't the shield. I don't know what I was talking about earlier, but he... he I would love that his... image, though, if it was he just like stuffed his boot into the wolf's mouth and broke its jaw or something. But uh, Yeah, well, actually, no, actually, I think, I think he did. I think he like puts his foot at the bottom, like the bottom teeth of Fenrir, and then he like uses that yeah. opening. Um, so we you can you can learn from this that Odin is killed at Ragnarok, which he already knows. He already knows that he's going to die, which is something that we've discussed in previous episodes. Yeah. And based on like what we know about Vidar from these stories, he avenges him. So moving on to Vathruth Nismal, he's mentioned a couple times. The first one being stanza 51. Vathruth Nismal is, again, the story where Odin has a contest of wits against a giant named Riddleweaver. So stanza 51. Vithar and Vali will inhabit Asgard when the fires of Ragnarok go out. Mothi and Magni will inherit Mjolnir after Thor is killed. So we also know what happens with Thor there. And we also know that Fithar and Vali, Mothi and Magni are going to survive. In Sansa 53, it states, a wolf will swallow Odin, but Vithar will avenge him. He'll cut open the wolf's cold jaws, kill the killer of his father. So we learn here that Odin is killed by Fenrir, the wolf. And then in Lokasena is the last poem that he, I, I believe he appears in the Poetic Edda. Sansa 10, Vithar doesn't speak, but we know he's present. And again, Lokasena is where Loki insults all of the gods at Aegir's Hall. Stanza 10, Odin tells Vithar, get up, Vithar. Let this father of wolves take a seat and have a drink. Let's not let Loki slander us here in Aegir's Hall. So Vithar is forced to give up his seat for Loki, who in this in Lokasena, again, we haven't discussed this yet, is belligerently drunk. But Odin calls him, calls Loki the father of wolves because Loki is actually Fenrir's father. So Loki's wolf child brings on Ragnarok and actually ends up killing Odin, who is avenged by Vithar. So you have to wonder when Vithar is forced to get up, like what does that mean to Vithar at that point? I like I don't know if we gave away too much there, David. We can no, but always cut it out. But... I think it goes to to understand Vithar, you pretty much have to know. The only thing really significant about him is that he's going to be there at Ragnarok, right? That's kind of the kenning you have to understand is that he's the slayer of the wolf at Ragnarok, right? Yeah. And so he's sort of like the small bit character. But the thing that as I look at all those different parts that comes up, one is the idea that, you know, that Thor has a brother is very significant, right? He's almost as great as Thor, yet Thor has Mjolnir, the hammer. So that makes Thor, among many other things, but especially what makes Thor greater, that Thor is going to pass off the torch, right? Pass off the hammer to Vithar as well, right? So that's sort of, if you're going to write some fan fiction about what happens after Ragnarok, he's your new Thor, basically. Yeah. Um, so so real quick, he he is very similar to Thor, but um, I, it does say that Mothi and Magni are going to inherit Mjolnir. Oh, that's so Thor's hammer. And Magni right. is the, uh, so Mothi, Mothi and Magni are, are Thor's sons. And we actually did discuss Magni when we discussed Thor's duel with Hrungnir, because Magni was the only yeah. being that could lift, I think, Hrungnir's like neck or leg off Thor's neck. Right. And he was only three years old at that time. So yeah. there's Mogi and Magni who are also Thor's kids. And I don't no. believe we I don't believe we mentioned Mogi when we discussed Thor's family yeah. tree. You know what? I'm gonna have to fucking write it. I'll, I'm gonna write Thor's family tree. I'm gonna write write okay. Odin's family tree. I'm gonna put it on a website and on Twitter. No, so. but then that's actually even more interesting, right? That that Thor's sons become like the new Thor, right? They're gonna have the hammer and protect the world from giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They become the warriors, right? But Vithar will be the king. He'll, t- he'll, he'll avenge Odin and take Odin's place there 
inhabiting Asgard after Ragnarok is over, right? So that's sure. interesting, right? Why, why Thor doesn't get to become the king, right? But he, his sons become, continue to be the heroes, the warriors, right? Yeah. Yeah, which it's it's unfortunate because I know we're we're going through this like series and like talking about Thor's um, excuse me Thor's growth yeah. in through all these stories and, and it's funny because like if you like looking at this and like look at the stories that we've covered in this order we know that Thor is actually growing maybe he's like becoming more like his father Odin or maybe he like he's spending time with Loki and he's like learning some forms of deception and I actually kind of like your theory that you know, Loki is his own being. Like he's obviously a God in these stories, but like yeah. maybe in some of these stories, you could look at Loki as Thor's shadow or like yeah. Thor's like alter ego or something like that, like a yeah. fight club type thing. But there's something, yeah, there's something very interesting there and it shows up. I see it showing up many times, but then that idea that Thor is going to have to pass off the hammer, pass off the torch eventually, right? That is the hero's journey is that the hero goes on the journey. He returns, he learns a lot, but he has to die and pass it on to the next generation, right? Odin doesn't want to let go. He doesn't want to pass it on to the next generation, but he's going to have to do it as well, right? So that's a metaphor for for life too, besides just the, sure. the gods. Yeah. Was there anything else, Sean, or should I? Yeah, I think we can get into to your stuff. I know you yeah. mentioned this uh, poem, Thor's Droppa. Yeah, so the poem's Thor's Droppa, it was written by Elfir Gundardson. So this is that the skaldic poems are different from the Eddic poems. It's kind of something to know. I, I haven't actually found too many skaldic poems, but I liked this one quite a bit when I found it. And it's funny because it was in my translation I was reading, but it wasn't in Sean's. And it goes that there's actually seven different existing manuscripts of the prose Edda. So old documents written back from 1300 to 1600. So ideally probably like the older one seems more authentic, but maybe some of the you know more contemporary, even if they're 1500s, 1600s, might have some details that then you're trying to figure out, well, are these historically accurate details or things people just added in, right? It adds a lot more confusion to the whole, uh, what are the sources, right? There's a lot of parallels with the story that, that Snorri tells. But another thing too, is as I read this poem, I see parallels to a lot of these other hero stories that we've read about Thor, whether it's the ones out of the poetic Edda, just the things we've talked about the last uh, three or five weeks. There's a lot of similarities in this poem as well. But, but Snorri does make a nice like cliff notes because the poem is hard to understand between it being the old kind of archaic English and just being in this poetic meter. I'd read it three or, three or four times before I really, and each time I would understand something new about what that stanza is trying to tell me. And so Thor's Droppa, they translated as the lay of Thor, but also when I put it into a Google translator in Icelandic, Droppa means kill. So I kind of like that this is the poem of Thor killing things. Uh, that's, that's what I'm going to call it. But so Thor kills. The poem is noted as for its creative use of kennings. There's a lot of kennings and a lot of them, I have no idea what mm -hmm. they mean. That's where you need somebody like Snorri to explain it to you because I, I can't explain some of these kennings and a lot of other metaphorical devices. They say it has a labyrinthine complexity to this poem. So we're not going to read the whole poem because um, it would be very difficult. And even just some of these stanzas are pretty hard, but here's how it starts. I'll stop after each stanza and try to explain the things I, that I do understand about it. And we'll see what John's thoughts are too. So awesome. So it begins with, the winding sea snake's father did while from home the slayer of the life of God's grim foeman ever was Loptir a liar. The never faithful searcher of the heart of the fearless thunderer declared green ways were lying to the walled stead of Gerard. So Sean, who is the, uh, the, the father of sea snakes? That would also be Loki. Because Loki, Loki is not Jormungand. only Fenrir's father, yeah, Jormungandr. Yeah, yeah. He's the deceiver of the thunderer. Right. So it must be the yeah, that he deceives Thor. Right. And, and I want to like take note, like Lopetir, I'm pretty sure is Loki. 
there's a lot of different translations of Loki where a lot of people look at the different sources and like think that Loki may be Odin's brother. And I, I believe we briefly mentioned that and I need to do more research, but yeah, some um, of the scholars I look at, they claim that Logi with a G is an older fire God that Loki is actually sort of absorbed him in some ways. Like now they just call him Loki, but he used to be called Logi before anyone knew what Loki was. So you mean when like Loki lost the eating contest to Logi? It's kind of like they brought back his Loki. alter ego from the past or something to, uh, <laughs> to fight yeah. him. Like if you're thinking of like a Marvel uh, superhero. Uh, and then like the heart of the fearless thunder. Like I know that's probably Thor, but we also yeah. have seen some sources. I think the saga of the Icelanders yeah. has mentioned Odin is also known as the thunder, which but, also yeah. like father, like son, why not? Right. So in this <laughs> context, right. And then I like this part I was referring to earlier where Loki says that there are green ways lying on the way to Garrett's, right? It's just going to be all green fields, everything peaceful, nothing bad's going to happen, Thor. You don't need your hammer, right? That's how I take it. So that's, that's answering my question, how did he deceive them? And then here's my favorite part, because Thialfi's back. So it says, further in the fairing, forward went warlike Thialfi with the divine host cheerer than the deceiving lover. Of her, the enchanted singing, I chant the ale of Odin. The hill dame's mocker measured the moor with his hollow foot soles. And the war wanted journeyed till the hill women's waster came to Gangir's blood, the Vimer. So that's the river Vimer. Sean, any ones that you have? Uh, I didn't I didn't do any interpretations yet, but let's break it down. I, I don't think I got any of those. Um, you do get the idea. Well, they mentioned the Vimer, but like you do mention to the hill women's waster or something. I'm wondering if that's like supposed to be Yalp wasting Thor's time or something. I think it's that um, Thor, he, he wastes them. He destroys the hill folk, right? That was... okay. Awesome. And, re- and real quick, going back, I did make this connection when you said it, but um, declared green ways were lying in yeah. the previous stanza. Like if right. Loki is saying, well, no, there's there's like green pastures, Thor, yep. let's go here. But you have to bring your, you have to put your hammer down in the, in the, I think the saga of the Greenlanders actually, Eric the Red, who is a, a Viking, gets exiled from Iceland. He goes to Greenland. It's an it's like a barren ice wasteland. He goes back to Iceland, and says, "Yeah, you should move here. It's like it's very green. In fact, I'm going to call it Greenland." And that, that maybe this poem is part of that deception. Maybe if it was written early enough, right? That would be pretty fascinating. Yeah, exactly. But I'm sorry, that, that this poem no. might be actually quite old, right? It might be that when they wrote them down in the 1300s, sometimes you know they wanted to include this poem, uh, but this poem might be older than Snorri writing his uh, cliff notes, as I call it. But so to kind of go through this, yeah, that, that Thialfi is back. And at first, I'm like, is Thialfi, you know, starts with the TH, it kind of looks like Thor, but later on, they very much clarify, like, no, it's both Thor and Thialfi are going on this adventure together. It's not Loki. So that's uh, in this version. Yeah. And then uh, they're talking about, yeah, the, the deceiving lover of her enchanted singing, uh, chanting about the ale of Odin. I feel like this is something that that woman, the uh, Odin's former uh, lover, the mother of a uh, grid. Yeah. Yeah. Might be her, maybe. And then there's this part, which has the interesting kennings and metaphors. So it says, so the hill dame's mocker measured the more with hollow foot soles. So basically, I think Thor is the one who, who mocks the giants and he walks across the moor with his feet. He's measuring how far he goes one step at a time. Very elaborate way to say that. And then the hill women's waster, right? That Thor wastes the, the hill women. He destroys them. And then the, the river Vimmer is called Gangir's blood. And I have no idea why, but uh, there you go. Now we're at the river, right? Where we remember that. The well, scene like who Gangir is, yeah. Yeah, but that's where I'll, I'm not going to read the next part because it's about five stanzas. And it really just gets very elaborate in how this 
the water is crushing against Thor and he's fighting it. Let me see if I can find the one with the, uh, uh, here, I'll just, I'll just read this one quickly, but not dwell on it. So it says, there they set the staves before them in the streaming grove of dogfish, the windy woods, slippery pebbles, smitten to speech, slept not. The clashing rod did rattle against the worn rocks and the rapid of the fells howled, storm smitten on the river's stony anvil. So essentially it's a lot of complicated flowery language for there's the staff, there's the rocks under the white water, trying to keep his footing, trying not to get you know knocked down the stream, basically. It goes on like that for several stanzas. Like I guess the word alliterative. No, that's not a word, is it? No, yeah, it's, it has has the alliteration of uh, the windy wood, the uh what was it, the storm smitten, right? And then and there's this part that's the flow. This is that kind of the poetic meter that's underneath that I try to read it in the meter, but the language is so, you know, this old archaic English, not easy. Yeah. I think it's like supposed to say, you know, compare like our ability to read it with Thor's ability to get through the water without like, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's what they say when you, when you gain this incredible wisdom, you learn the ability to write and speak poetry, right? Like, yeah, what kind of insight, intuitive knowledge do you need to write this stuff? I can barely read it. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and this, this is the sixth time I've read it this week. Right. And it's still not easy. There was one that was just, it would be quite a challenge to take apart. So yeah, I'm just going to skip that one. Oh, but the reason I wanted it in there is because they say, so it says the chiefs with thoughts of valor. So I think this is Thor and Thialfi. With thoughts of valor, they were imbued, marched into Thorn's house. A mighty crash resounded on the cave's ring wall. The slayer of the mountain reindeer people on the giant maiden's wide hood was brought in bitter peril. There was baleful peace talk. So the only reason I wanted to make sure I put this there is one, this mountain reindeer people really stood out to me. Sean, what do you think it might mean? Do you have any thoughts? This might be a Marvel thing, but like the giants are called the uh, frost giants in like the Marvel cinematic yeah. universe. So I don't know if like the mountain reindeer people would be the Jotun in this so case, because the next this the next line they mentioned the giants made in. There, there's, yeah, in, in this, they're using that as kind of a, a metaphor for the Jotun. But as I've been reading these things about the shamanism and how this might link to Norse mythology, there's people who living in Siberia and they're also called the Sami people of Northern Norway, maybe a little bit in Sweden as well. Mm. It's very much like what, how it is with Native Americans here in America, similar to the Siberian culture, but a bit different that are in this very Northern part of Scandinavia. Yeah. And I the think US. they also like migrate. I think they migrate to like parts of like Northern Norway, like Northern Finland, Northern Sweden. Like, and that's what it is. Wrong, but... they're, they're a migratory people. So they travel with the reindeer herds, right? So they have this yeah. very deep shamanism culture that's still alive today. And this poem compares them with the Yotun, right? So we talked before about whether the Yotun are really giants that are, you know, 50 feet tall, or are they just the people who aren't of the Aesir tribe? I just think that's interesting. I, I don't know anything else about it besides what I just explained there. But, uh, and sure. then when it says the house of the thorns, so it really is like a thorn, like a, a thorn on a rose, right? This goes back to when I talked about the runes and there's that thorn rune and they connect that just because it's the TH sound, it's not necessarily just the rune of Thor. It might be the rune of the giants, right? And here it's saying it's the house of the thorns, the house of the giants. So that might be one of those sources where you get that idea from. This is how they, in the poem, they do that scene where Thor crushes the two daughters of, uh, of Garrod. And they pressed the high head bearing, the piercing brow moon's eye flame against the hill hall rafters on the high roofed tree broken. He crushed those raging women. The switching storm car's guider burst the stout ancient back ridge and the breastbones of both women. So that's very, some, some detail there about this, you know, they're pressing his, uh, his brow moon, I think is his eyes and his eyes are aflame 
and they're pr pushing him against the rafters, which they call the, the roof trees of the house. Right. And then he crushes them. He breaks their back and the breastbone, Thor being the, the swinging storm cars guider. Right. He guides the <laughs> chariot with the rams. Right. So he's the storm cars guider. This is where you really got to know your kennings, right? You cannot, <laughs> you cannot approach that sentence without knowing your kennings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, uh, and then this is the battle between Thor and uh, Garrod. So that Gunner's swift speeder seized the friend of Freya with quick hand gulps, the molten, high raised drafts of metal, when the firebrand glowing flew with maddened fury from the giant's gripping fingers to the grim sire of Thruder. And then that goes back to that Thrud is uh, Thor's daughter, daughter yeah. right? That, mean, that also means might, right? So the, the grim sire, the grim father of might, right, is uh, another way to say Thor. But it's interesting as they describe this, you know, he's pulling out hand gulps, right? These liquid piles of molten metal. And I guess throwing them, but if they're liquid metal, they're going to splatter. But then it sounds like he's throwing his firebrand, like one of the metal tools at Thor. And uh, there's even more to this combat scene, but I'm not going to go through the whole thing where... Him and Thor kind of going back. It seems like basically that actually Thor didn't just throw an iron ingot back at him, but Thor like went up and hit him in the head and crushed him in the stomach, maybe with his hammer. Maybe Thor has his hammer back now somehow. And uh, <laughs> it's quite a quite a chaotic uh, battle scene there at the end. But I'll just read the last stanza, which says, He whom hosts make offering, hewed down the dolt-like dwellers of the cloud abyss of Elfholm, crushing them with the fragment of Girder's rod, the litter of hawks and race of listy could not harm the helpstrong queller of Ella's stone folk. So there's several ways in which they say, talk about the giants and talk about Thor that I think uh, Thor is the one whom hosts make offerings to, right? And mm -hmm. the giants are the dolt like dwellers. They're, they don't think of them being very smart, right? But then they say they live on the cloud abyss of elf home, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I was like thinking about. Like, what, is, what does that mean? And that's because I know, know yeah. Did the yeah, did the Jotun live near are we talking about Alfheim? Right? Is it just saying that elves also live in Jotunheim? They kind of combine dwarves and giants sometimes, right? Because dwarves are supposed to be known for making weapons and uh smithing, right? And this guy is clearly a smith. He's got this molten metal he's throwing around. So it's I don't think they worried about it too much. I don't think they were trying to be <laughs> very exact, but yeah. Well, I know in the episode where we discussed like the or the two episodes where we discussed the nine worlds, like we talked about how like the Vanir and Aesir are very similar. Like yeah. maybe they're just different tribes, just like the Jotun. But right. we discussed how the dwarves and the elves might be also like very similar. And maybe in this case, it's talking about how like Elfheim, if it means Alfheim. Yeah. I believe, yeah, Alfheim is supposed to be the home of the elves. And it's like, maybe that's also similar in this case to the Jotun. And we discussed previously that the Jotun, the Jotunar in Norse mythology are like also considered trolls, which you actually mentioned earlier in this episode. But then if you look at Tolkien's Hobbit, right. the trolls were the ones that turned to stone from the sun. But yeah. in the episode that we discussed last week, Elvis Small, it was a dwarf. So right. there's a lot of like similarities. And I'm wondering how much of this is just the author saying, well, no here's what's happening in the story. Oh yeah. Of course the sun turns the elf into stone or something like that. Yeah. And kind of just like makes it 800, you know, 800 years later where we're looking at it. It might just be like very confusing for us, if that makes sense. And no, and, and there's this one that uh, just stands out to me and I don't know what it means, but it says, you know, that he crushed him with a fragment of girders rod. And then it says the litter of hawks, the race of listy could not harm 
and then it's a three-part kenning for Thor. But who are the litter of hawks? Right? And I think maybe it's something about these a tribe that does shape-shifting and can turn into hawks. And then that goes with Loki and him turning into a hawk at the beginning of the story. Because in this poem, they don't talk about Loki turning into a hawk, but, they, but then they talk about a hawk here at the end, right? So I think there's yeah. something there, but I can't make sense of it. So yeah, that's, that's reading Norse poetry, everybody. Exactly. It's, it's fun, like with the alliteration, but it's also not fun in the fact that like, it often does not make sense. Yeah. But then it's more fun to read it after you read it six times because then you're like, oh, I kind of know what this is talking about now. But yeah, you picked some of it up. Yeah, can't always explain it. So, so Sean, what are your thoughts before I talk about any psychology stuff? What are your thoughts <laughs> on this whole story I, that we've put together? Yeah, I don't know. I love the alliteration. I I'm more so going back to like the story that uh, you know, or I guess the main the main portion of the story. I love the fact that like Thor seems to be growing. He's like he's going. He's moving beyond his like adolescenthood, and he's like realizing, oh, I am not my hammer. I don't need my hammer. I'm going to go find my own path without my hammer. And I'm not saying he says that, but he also has shown in Thor in his, his wedding episode, but also this one that he can be successful without it. Whereas we've seen in some of the first episodes we discussed with him, where he's still going to be unsuccessful with it, which we've seen in like Harvard's law, Utgard Loki, you know? Yeah. I think it's really cool. And that's, you know, I, I wasn't sure what was the, the psychology interpretations other than a few of the interesting, like, you know, what are some of the symbols or the images shown throughout the story? But going back to this idea, right, of Thor growing, right? I introduced that idea last time, the uh, the king, warrior, magician, lover, right? Those being four archetypes. And I finally finished that book and I got to the end. And it was uh, a couple things that really made me think about how, you know, sort of this applies or what, what does it really look like for the hero who's supposed to be kind of like an adolescent in some ways, at least like an emotional adolescent, right? Then to turn into the mature man, uh, kind of king warrior, magician lover. It's supposed to be all four of those things kind of combined makes a great man, right? Oh, I was going to pull out a quote from the book. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. Let me pull out this quote from the book. So it talks about how it's interesting if you're into Norse paganism or this idea of magic, or even just trying to make sense of what's going on with magic, this author, Robert Moore, he's both a Jungian analyst and also a theologian. Uh, I think in a way he's at least trained in uh, religious studies, right? So he kind of combines these ideas to figure out what is it psychologically, right? Kind of psychodynamically that's happening in religious rituals, practices, whether it's Catholic or other Christian or pagan or um, Wicca and magic. He's trying to figure out what is, what's happening in a person's mind when they do that, right? So it's his theory that these four aspects are present in a balanced psyche or a balanced soul. He says that maybe, you know, you notice you have some of the other areas. Okay. Right. Like trying to be the King or trying to be the magician but you know you're lacking as a warrior. What would you do to be to invoke the warrior? And it's very much, uh, let me read it, what he would say. So he says, to access the warrior, you might start getting up from the television set some evenings and forcing yourself out the door for a vigorous walk. You might take up a martial art. You might start an exercise class. You might force yourself to get a start on the unpaid bills that are piling up. You get up, you move around, uh, start some action. And soon, much to your amazement, you may find yourself acting more like a warrior in many areas of your life. So what do you think of that, Sean, as it talks about his little, like, it's just basically skills, steps to do to invoke the warrior. I think we all have that part of ourselves where we just want to, like, scream, if that makes sense. We want to, like, go out there and exert ourselves, like, maybe physically, maybe, like, emotionally. But I think like a lot of people say, no, I need to go to the gym and I need to get all my anger out. I need to get my anger out in this like punching bag. I need to lift all of this weight. 
because yeah. I'm not going to be any effective, like at the other parts of the job, like of my life that I need to be successful at if I can't. Oh, yeah. And so like, I think if you look at like the morning where I go for like a run or I work out, that's like, based on what you just said, like the warrior coming out of me. And I'm not yeah. saying I'm a warrior. I'm definitely not. If you no. look to me, I'm not, but like, but that's why, I think- that's why I picked that quote because I'm like, that, that sounds like Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. But, but it is because what, what, what he's kind of saying in there, right. Is like you were saying at first, like that screaming and that rage, right? Like some people think that's the extreme. That's the warrior. You need to be out on like a football field, running into people. You need to, you know, go start doing MMA and take rage out on somebody. But the way he actually defines the warrior is just the warrior gets things done. He accomplishes a task. And then what's the next task? And I accomplished it. What's the next one? Right. And so he identifies it with himself being a workaholic. Right. But it's also kind of this, some people are lacking that. Right. So as I read it, I'm like, I think, I think Sean does like half of these things are almost everything he just said there. Right. So when there's people who don't have that warrior aspect, they need to do more of that. Right. So as I'm reading that, I'm like, yeah, that to me sounds like Sean. Right. But then, okay. If Sean has the warrior down, what else does he need to add now? Right. What does it look like to add more magician aspect? Right. Would that be the sort of this intuitive stuff, trying to read runes, trying to read poetry. Right. Does he need to be more of like an artist making clay pots or things with his hands, right. And being very hands-on something or out in nature doing things like that. Right. That might be yeah. one aspect of the lover besides the, the romantic aspect of it is very much about like in tune with your senses is one way to say that. Right. So it's, yeah. and it's, I'm not just a single out Sean, right. For myself. So it's interesting. The, the King, it sounds like it's great to be the King, right. But the King is like tear is self-sacrificing, right. You do too much of the King and you're sacrificing too much of yourself until there's nothing left. As I was writing this last night, I was thinking it's like the guy from Monty Python who has no arms and no legs, right? Like, where does Tyr go if he keeps up with this uh, problem that he has, right? Being too much of a king, yeah. Yeah, right. So that's where it's like, oh, the king sounds like it's wonderful. You're the king. You don't have any problems. But it's like, no, if you're really a good king, you don't make everybody else sacrifice to make you grand. You sacrifice yourself maybe to a fault, right? So that would be one way to say that. And then with the warrior too, like I'm very much the workaholic as well, like Sean, right? So it's Maybe I have like some of those aspects, but it's still not balanced, right? Just having two of those doesn't solve it, if that makes sense. So yeah, definitely. What are what are your takes on that? This idea of you know, this goes back to the idea of things I want to write about, but uh, you know, what, how, how soon I'll get around to actually writing a whole book? But it's to tie in the the Norse or the you know Norse paganism ideas to psychodynamic things. He doesn't talk about Norse, but some of the other psychoanalysts do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think it goes into balance, right? Like. Yeah sometimes I think I need that outlet. I need to go for a long run and just like listen to a podcast or like not think about anything in particular, or even like with video games, I need to shut my mind off. Right. Yeah. But then a lot of times they're like, when it comes to like going to the gym or something, if I don't do it, I get mad at myself and it's kind of like counterproductive. Yeah. So maybe it's like, no, I need to be gentle, be more gentle with myself. And maybe I need to go to meditate or something like that. So I think there's like this, this balance there. Like you don't want to be a workaholic. You don't want to just be a gym rat. You don't want to just, like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with uh, being just somebody that meditates for 20 hours a day, but I feel like you can be doing something better. So like you can, you can meditate for too long. Right. I think that's, and then that's goes to the extreme of the magician is just like losing contact with everybody else. Right. It's like that idea, as I was saying that Thor has to pass the torch off to somebody, right. Or like with Odin, right. He's so preoccupied with his own power. He stopped thinking about how can he actually also be the King and use, you know, he's all this wisdom and things he gained in the underworld how can he actually come back and help his community or his, you know, his, his tribe instead Odin's like a little too involved in himself. Right. So that's, yeah. And that's exactly so like, I think, yeah, exactly. And I think like, if you look at Thor's hammer as like that being his avenue of aggression, sometimes he just needs to let go of it. And like also somehow ha- like be able to have like some intrigue or whatever, like 
yeah. say, oh, well, I'm going to throw this stone at this girl's forehead to get her out of my way because I don't have a hammer or something. But, yeah. but it is that, that Loki is the, the trickster. It's the trickster that helps to humble you, right? Because you're, you're Thor, you think you're great. And then Odin's dressing down of him and taking him down a notch, right? Is very similar to what Loki does, kind of tries to get him in these spots where then he has to think his way out differently. He can't just do the same thing every time, right? Because when, when that's what you're great at, right? When you're a great warrior, of course, you want to be a warrior to take care of all the problems. Mm. You know, it's hard to tell yourself to be less of a warrior, but to be more of something else, right? I think that's what you're, we're getting at. Yeah. So that's, that was my, my thought that as I'm reading these different books and they kind of line up together on this uh, conversation around what is uh, we're supposed to be getting from this? What are we supposed to be getting from it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like actually, um, I, I love like after like your comments there, like I do think it's, I like I'm very excited. So let's get, yeah, it's probably balance, right? Like Thor. I don't know, like Thor needs to understand that he's not just like this ball of muscle. He right. needs to at some point be a king, but he also like at some point needs to realize that, you know what, I need to destroy who I am and I need to become like what some people may consider feminine, right? right. And it's like, it's all, it all, it's all a part of that like growth. And I think it all comes to like balance. You don't want to be too much of one thing. Like you don't want to be too much of Odin. You don't want to be too much of Thor. You don't want to be too much of Loki. It's like knowing what aspect to be when. And I think that's something that we all like have to understand in our lives. We all, we don't, as I mentioned, we don't always be the gym rat. We don't always want to be the uh, very peaceful person. We don't always want to be the workaholics, et cetera. But that's, I think that's good for this week. What are we going to talk about next week? Do we know, or we'll figure it out. We don't know. Yeah. I we think no it, <laughs> we're winging it. We, I think, uh, I, I think you and I discussed, we might not, uh, we might take like a break from the adventures of Thor and we might go to one of the poems, Grimness Small, which is actually goes back to Odin because Odin is, Odin plays a huge part in that poem and it's really cool. Yeah. So then we'll try and we'll do a few different things the next few episodes and then we'll uh, close out the season, right? Close out the season soon. Yep. So we'll talk more about that as we, as we figure it out, but maybe we should end the episode. We'll, we'll talk about it now. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you, David. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Good night.